Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations, and we are just about at the midpoint of the intense, hot part of the summer and about to have really one of the most culturally rich weekends of the year when both Satchmo Festival and the White Linen Night combine to bring both the visual and the musical together in, in a, a very substantial weekend. It's, it's not your usual kind of, um, you know, oyster festival, tomato festival, nothing against those, but it is uh, something pretty unique. So uh, we have in studio two very special guests, uh, one who I've known for about 40 years, <laughs> <laughs> um, Charmaine Neville, and and one whose father I I actually worked with quite a bit, um, but haven't really spent a lot of time with Nicholas Payton, whose work has been really special. Both of these artists have really been doing some very important work in the city. Um, so today we're going to focus on um, Satchmo, the festival, what's going on with it, and the music of these artists. Um, Emily Medora is going to join us and talk a little bit about the festival itself and actually what's happening at the Mint, which is important because that has finally evolved into what it's meant to be for a long time, a, a museum for jazz music, and we'll see how that develops. I don't know that much about it, but uh, Emily will share that with us. So um, we're actually going to get started with Nicholas, but um, since Charmaine is here and with us, um, who knows how this conversation will go. Um, so, Nicholas, the thing that I um, was struck with as I read a little bit about uh, your album, and I, the title, Afro-Caribbean Mixtape, um, is tantalizing in and of itself. It really invites you to think um, a lot about um, the origins of music. We, we often live with what we know most currently. Um, we're always most excited about the newest thing. Um, but there's nothing new that hasn't evolved from what was before it, and you you climb pretty far back there in in this particular um, work. And so I want to I want to know um, first of all, um, you know, where did this come from? The idea of doing this, and then I want you to give me kind of a little bit of an overview of what you were trying to accomplish with it. And um, we're going to hear a little bit of it, and we'll take it from there. Okay. Well, uh, the title Afro-Caribbean Mixtape is something that I had in mind for a number of years before I knew what it would sound or look like. Uh, and the idea was to basically illustrate um, how rhythm, uh, certain rhythms came from Africa uh, during the uh, transatlantic trade and uh, how those rhythms and cultures got funneled through the Caribbean and places like Cuba and Haiti and Puerto Rico on up to what many consider the northernmost part of the Caribbean, New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And then um, because of a place like Congo Square, which uh, is probably the only place in which 
the enslaved Africans uh, were given a platform to practice their rituals and drumming and singing and so forth. Uh, that energy spawned um, artists like Buddy Bolden and King Oliver and uh, the original king of pop, Louis Armstrong, who basically changed what we knew uh, to be music. You know, there's music before Louis Armstrong and then there's music after Louis Armstrong. Um, and, and basically just to, to show this journey, um, not that it's only music or, or cultural or entertainment, but this is a lifeline for black people, for African people, uh, because they were not allowed to speak their native languages. Uh, they developed a new language in the blues, and that became the new way Africans and black people, you know, talk to one another. So uh, that code is instilled in the music, it's instilled in the blues, and it still exists. And uh, I just wanted to show in all forms of black music, though these things were categorized by marketeers and people in the recording and uh, concert promoting industry, uh, and, and separated into genres like jazz, swing, hip-hop, bebop, funk, soul, that they're all essentially at their roots black music, and they all uh, contain a certain cultural, uh, what I call tribal DNA that still exists in American popular music, regardless of the color of the artist. And um, so I just wanted to illustrate as many of these tribes and tributaries of, of black American music that exist and display that on this album and show how they are connected and go as far back to uh, Africa on up to through to today and and perhaps illuminate uh, future sounds. This is a big darn undertaking mm -hmm. and um, I'm sure that uh, the time frame during which you developed your understanding and appreciation of this journey uh, didn't start with the recording of this album. It, it, it started way back with probably when you were first studying music. Before I'm gonna, I was born. Started before, back, you know, right. Any of in this room. You it's know. in your genes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's all about recognition and ancestry. And, you know, as many people who know anything about me, know that uh, I've, I've been a champion in the crusade for uh, what I call black American music and shunning the use of terminology like jazz because I think it does a disservice to the artists who create the music and it doesn't really explain or say what the music is and it's it's of derogatory origins. A lot of the you know first usages of the word were not too jazz. kosher. So, um, mm -hmm. so th this is all a part of this. So this is my most... All of my albums come from this same space. So in that re regard, it's not any different than what I've tried to do with all my, my albums. Um, but how this differs is I think I found a way to uh, make an of overt political statement. To this point, you know, my music has been my music and my political commentary has been that. I finally figured out a way to put all of it together in a cohesive um, statement uh, and with a lot of help from a lot of the ancestors and elders of this music. So uh, the mixtape part of it is that I have a lot of black intellectuals and uh, black uh, artists uh, speaking, and I have a DJ in which I had these samples 
dispersed throughout their albums in a musical form, not just dropping the samples, but have them being rhythmically injected into the, the music. So we have Art Blakey and Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis and Duke Ellington and Max Roach, uh, black intellectuals like Sharshi McIntyre and, and uh, the head of uh, African-American studies at the uh, chair of African-American studies at Howard University, Dr. Greg Carr, uh, the guy who uh, basically founded uh, Ebonics, uh, who, who's on a tune we're going to listen to in a bit, uh, Relaxification. Um, so, so all these things are interwoven into the music to create this cohesive whole that really speaks to something that I think needs to be uh, heard in this time, perhaps more than ever, in the wake of Black Lives Matter and, and us being somewhat on the cusp of, you know, maybe losing our identity, like we're at the final stand. Like, what are we going to really do? Are we going to really do the work to, to turn this thing around or we're going to let black culture go because that it's become that crucial at this point well, well let's I, I can't um god i mean there's so many points at which i wanted to take off from but i can't let that one go by why do you feel um we're on the cusp of losing black identity uh well we've heard a lot of talk about post-race and post-blackness um uh, a lot of people subscribing to the idea, well, if you want to end racism, then you just stop calling yourself white and I'll stop calling myself black. It's just not that simple. Uh, and before we can start forgetting, well, well, I, where I do agree with that is that race is indeed a false construct. And I ultimately am not black and you ultimately are not white and none of us are any of these things. Um, but we live in a world where the ramification and the effects of those things are still very real. So when I... Rome, I can think in my mind that I'm not black and I'm a light being, but when I'm driving my car down the street and the police see me, they're going to see me as a black man, mm -hmm. and I'm persona non grata. So that's the reality. So I can't effectively stop being black until the constructs by which shape our daily lives begin to dissipate. Then we can let go of these uh, false racial categories. Do, do you want to let go of them? I think ultimately, yeah, because black, what is it? I mean, how is that an identifier, right? But I refuse to stop being black until we are not treated as blacks. Until then, then I'm going to stand with my black brothers and sisters and own the title until we can get to a point. I mean, for me, to be quite honest, I'm not even human being. I think humanity is a problem. I think humanity is the first race construct that's problematic because once you have humanity set in, then there's this immediate hierarchical thing mm -hmm. that comes into play where some, some people yep. need to feel better than others, classicism, all the, so to get rid of all the isms, then we, I think we really need to dissolve hum, the human race, period. So, but th that that's my way, uh, that's my intellectual thinking in my mind. But the, the real world thinking is I'm a black man. But if, if we don't come to terms with what that means first, we can't get to that other place until we've figured out what, what that means culturally again and get back to that vibration, a vibration which has been decimated and, 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 uh, and uh, attempted to be destroyed. It's not just that we necessarily forgot who we were, but at every turn of, of progress, uh, like Black Wall Street and the, the, the Tulsa bombing or the decimation of, of the black power movement by agencies like COINTELPRO, we have been stopped at every turn. All of our leaders killed, like Martin Luther King and Medgar Evers and Malcolm X and uh, 
Fred Hampton. So, you know, people exiled, like Asada Shakur. So we've, we've stopped the crack, it, it, the CIA bringing crack into our neighborhoods in the 80s when we were becoming upwardly, upwardly mobile and a part of the black, uh, the, the middle class of this. So we've been stopped at every turn. So we need to figure out how to pick up what our ancestors left us and carry it further. Because if we don't do it now, I'm afraid, in this internet, internet age where we're sort of losing the tactile experience of being in the flesh. Like we're, we're really creating generations of people now who have no sensibility to what it's like to just have to sit in a room and not look at a phone, where you used to have to sit with your thoughts, where you couldn't sit at the dinner table with your phone and you would have to talk to each other. Like, so we're creating generations of babies now who don't have that sensibility. So if we don't instill that, that's what I'm saying, we're at the risk of perhaps losing what that is. So that that's really why this album was important for me to do at this time. Okay. Um, so uh, I can't – do you mind if I uh, – I'd like to invite you into the conversation, uh, Charmaine. And, and so how, how, let's go back to this um, cusp of losing identity, that point forward. What's, what's your feeling about this? Well, I, I – feel like he's absolutely right. We are right on that. You know, we're teetering on the edge right now. And it's not a hard thing to say what you want to happen, you know, to your people. You know, you want all people to be your people. It's not any one group, you know. It's like everybody, we're all in this together. So, but as a black person, I don't want to lose who I am. And, you know, I understand what he's saying, you know, and it's in everything that we do in our lives every single day, you know, and I want to tell you how proud I am of you. You know, I've known you since you were a little person, you know, and now here you are a man of the world and speaking so eloquently on issues that mean so much to so many people and doing it in your music. I'm doing it, you know, in your life, you know, and I know that this time at Satchmo Fest, this is your debut. Yes, yes. So we're very happy that you're going to be, you know, able to touch more people and let them know what's really going on, mm -hmm. you know, and where this is all coming from, you know, because a lot of young people don't know, yeah. you know, and what you're speaking about, I hope that they're listening and they do hear this and they hear some of your music and come out to the festival and get the chance to actually you know, embrace and feel you, you know, because I know how you play, you mm -hmm. know. But Actually, before we leave that point, uh, let, let me just make sure I, I, I cover that because I can see how this hour is going to evaporate in about three seconds because there's so much going on here. But um, what time are you playing and where? Okay, well, tomorrow night, Thursday night, we're going to be at Prime Example. Uh, sets at 8 and 10 p.m. And then we're at Satchmo Fest on Friday at the Cornet Chop Suey stage at 3 p.m. The Chop Suey stage? Yeah, Cornet Chop Suey. Okay. Satchmo. Yeah, that's Louis yeah. Armstrong, too. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I want to go back to um, the connection between um, the African uh, roots of the music and the Caribbean evolution and then the evolution into the various genre that we were saying are maybe artificial but they all evolve from that so I've always wondered how did we get from the drumming 
and the the rituals and the songs to quote what at least many people think of as jazz. So I, I need to understand um, how that happened. Where, how, what are the linkages? How, how do you? How would you describe uh, physically that evolution? Mm, well, I wasn't there. But 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 you know, it, it evolved as all things evolve. And the thing uh, out about of, that evolution was that. They had to evolve because they weren't allowed to speak. And the only way that they could communicate with each other was through the rhythms, you know. And one tribe was from somewhere else and another group was from somewhere else. So that was how they spoke to each other, was through those rhythms. And those rhythms evolved and became so many different things. So, you know. So, um, but as I was saying, yeah, it, 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 like a lot of things evolve out of necessity. Um and, and typically in black culture, when um, those who sought to oppress us either tried to appropriate or squelch uh, whatever we were doing at that time, we would change gears and find a more underground way of communicating. Mm -hmm. So the music changed as a result of the code having to change, the language having to change, so it could live. And depending upon the out external forces, that also affected it, for instance, uh, uh, we had in the bebop era because of um, uh, the recording band, because we were at the war and they, they weren't making albums anymore, it gave the music a chance to go more underground and uh, more club-based. And as a result of it, the, the music not necessarily having to be for entertainment or dancing, the music became more virtuosic, more fast-paced, so to speak. Uh, with still that rhythmic code, and as as black people became more autonomous, um, it was like basically the first hippie culture of America. Charlie Parker rolling up to the gig in a suit that was wrinkled, hair unkempt, you know, for whatever reasons. But still, that that was really essentially the first underground underground hippie culture of America. Interesting. And hip hop did the same thing, uh, out of necessity. Uh, school music programs closing down people not being able to afford instruments. So they took turntables and used the street lamps and plugged into the power on the street, set up speakers and played music for, you know, that you could hear from blocks around and created a whole other genre. So when you cut off something from somebody, whatever, and they can't thrive in that environment anymore, then the will to and the desire to survive, they reinvent themselves and create something new. And that's how the music kept evolving and changing. Um, I'd like a um, jazz. Can we maybe uh, uh, have you found that cut that we were talking about from the? Um, I'd love to play some of the the sound that uh, will uh, express uh, a little bit of what you're talking about. Um, I, um, I I also want to understand how the horns come in. Uh, oh, here, here we go. So let, let's. Uh, this is relaxification. Relaxification. Relaxification is a process of acquiring or restructuring a language. Some languages having a verb system that is aspectual and some having a tense system. So relaxification has occurred for African speech in that you won't find a copula verb. She, gone. We don't have a verb to expressly predicate present tense. They mind. There's no verb to be. No possessive state. No possessive or copula verb as they're called in linguistics. 
So um, I, I'm struck by something that uh, is, in a way, extraneous, I think, to um, what's in there. But um, what a different relationship of, of words and music then, uh, but related to how the music and rap is, is intertwining lately in fairly conventional ways that have become common. So um, it's it's interesting how it, different it is and how related it is. And are you familiar with the music of Philip Glass? Sure. So I once ran into him in um, in an airplane, and I said, "Wow!" I said, "Do you realize the relationship between what you do and rap?" And he looked at me like I was a total nutcase. And to me, I. It, the relationship is just so clear. Tell me I'm crazy, but that repetitive... The looping. The looping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I want to come back also now to the horn again. So we talked about the rhythms and how important the rhythms have been in expressing when you couldn't express through words. What about the horn? How, how, how does the horn come into play in this? Well, that's rhythm too. 
right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, all it's these instruments. There's a lot of melody, too, though, right? It's all, and the drum is a melody. So, see, we, we mm-hmm. get wrapped up in these things of mm-hmm. what characteristic an instrument is supposed to have, but it could, it could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a piano is a rhythm and a string instrument. The trumpet, mm-hmm. oftentimes, I'm thinking from a concept of a drummer when I play. When we hear pops, the way he outlines and rhythm, you know, when you hear the rhythms of Charlie Parker, and then you look at someone tap, it's the same, it comes from the same space. So rhythm is melody, and melody is rhythm. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, so, Charmaine, you come into this um, mix in, 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 in a totally different, from a totally different place in a way. And your music has evolved um, for you as a person throughout the time that you've been working. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious as to how you would talk about um, the where you started from, your starting point, and how it evolved. Actually, my starting point was, of course, like most people, in church, you know. And from there it just went on, you know, because I refused to be pigeonholed and put in this one little box and told only just sing this and only play that. And, oh, you can't play that rhythm. How dare you play that rhythm in this kind of song? You know, I never could conform to structure of someone else. It was whatever I felt like. So, you know, and I do all kinds of music, gospel, classical, I do jazz, I do uh, country, I do blues, I do funk, I do, you know, it doesn't matter. To me, it's all there. So since it's all in me, just use all of it, you know. And I love rhythms. And as he spoke, everything is a rhythm. Every single thing that you do in your life is a rhythm, you know, everything. Um, Art Neville once tried to um, explain to me the relationship between the rhythms of, of New Orleans music, and that's obviously not one, mm-hmm. and the rhythms of Brazilian music. Mm-hmm. I, I have to be honest and say I, I could hear the difference, but I couldn't exactly hear his interpretation of that relationship. And I still have... Um, I listen to a lot of Caribbean music. I happen to be a major Cuban music and Haitian music fan from childhood. I grew up in the Bronx, so I grew up with a lot of Puerto Rican music and a lot of Latin music various. And I used to, we have the Don Allen Library in New York. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but you can borrow music from there. When sure. I was a kid and I couldn't buy records, I went to the Don Allen Library and I took out Haitian drum records. My father was a little worried about this because I would dance to it around the house, and it was. But um, I, I would like to hear more about how you would talk about how those uh, um, Caribbean rhythms from places like Cuba and Haiti um, um, evolve through in New Orleans. And I, I want to not lose your uh, point that you made about Armstrong and how from there everything changes. And I want to come back to that too. Mm-hmm. So on Caribbean versus New Orleans first. Well, the, the common denominator is Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, when we listen to a lot of these different types of things. You know, you know, like when I go to Brazil and I hear like the Samba schools and how to use tambourines and how to use the drum, I hear things that are like, we may call it different names, just like 
we have different languages, but it's the same rhythmic DNA. It's the same thing, you know. They have different names for what they call it. But I hear the same thing. And it's just the only difference is, is like where those Africans went and how those rhythms took root in their area. When we talk about African culture, a lot of times we're talking about lineage. We're talking about whom begat whom and where they were. And that's the thing that's everywhere. It's tribes and it's, it's location, you know, the way New Orleans music is versus the Detroit sound versus the Chicago sound versus how musicians on the West Coast sound versus the Floridian musicians. All playing black music, all, you know, having roots in gospel and blues, but how the location affect, you know, places that have rivers, uh, there's a certain flow and energy to the, how music sounds. There are places that have lakes. We have a river and a lake. Yeah. So all these different things affect the music. We're below sea level. Environment affects music. Culture affects it. It affects food. It affects everything. So, you know, all of, all of these things go into why certain rhythms flourish and evolve a certain way in that place with those particular people and why they sound some uh, another way somewhere else. It's, it's so, that whole flow, you know. Exactly. Um, Johnny Vodakovich, uh once told me um, when we were working on the old Dewdrop, which your father came in and, and, and jammed uh, with. So I, I don't know if you even know this, but I produced something called the Dewdrop Inn at the Contemporary Arts Center mm-hmm. in the 70s, um, kind of trying to revive that late night jam thing. And I was told, by the way, oh, you'll never do that. The musicians are not going to come and jam. Well, we did. Guess who and told it was me that? Wonderful. I don't. I have no idea who told you that. Quint Davis. So I said, "Oh, there's nothing that gets me motivated more than being told no." So of course I went ahead and did it. And who comes in and jams but Charles? And this is he has just come back into the city for the first time in a long time at that point, right? But um, the uh, thing that Vodakovich, who was part of the house band at that time, mm-hmm. said is that when New Orleans musicians leave New Orleans and go other places, he said initially their sound is almost Mickey Mouse because, as he explained it to me, there's more resistance here, and so it it, it functions as kind of like a, a gravity or a drag mm-hmm. on the music, and you get away from this sea level that we're at here, and you get someplace else, and immediately the movements are are not as restrained as they are here. Does that make any sense to you? Do you I'm not really picking sure that up? From yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I don't get that. Yeah. I mean, you know, because I mean, I've like been all Johnny over the world, and the music has never... He's talking about drumming. He's talking I just, literally I understand about his own that, drumming. You know, yeah. but I haven't being a drummer myself, so, but I've never... But maybe Johnny, if yes. he'd explain it... it We'll yeah, have to get and maybe we know we'll talk that. about right. it. Yeah. Hey, Johnny. Right. <laughs> Back to Armstrong then. Okay, so Armstrong for you is a real um, milestone. I mean, really for everybody. We're talking about American music, not only black music, just, you know, and I spoke to this uh, with Geraldine Wyckoff the other day. Um, he redefined pulse. He redefined yes. time, the quarter note. There's one thing to redefine an eighth note or to have your own certain feel or the certain way you phrase or your, your style of battle, but to redefine one, two, three, four, to redefine how that feels. That did not exist 
before Armstrong. And it's hard to conceptualize, really, because that's kind of all we know. We take it for granted that that's what exists. But that pulse doesn't even exist uh, necessarily in African music. Now, I'm not talking about 4-4 time. I'm talking about how that feels, the forward motion of it. It didn't exist in any other music. It doesn't exist in classical music. It didn't exist in African music. It doesn't exist in any recorded music history that I know. Um, can he redefined the quarter note. Can you express that for me somehow? It, uh, that, that you, you hear, I don't really, I don't know enough about music to understand that. I'm too much. Uh, yeah, it, this is real, like insider baseball type. It's That's hard. Good. It's hard I to like describe. To <laughs> it's hard to describe without being technical. But right. Do it by the mic so okay. people can hear it. You, you have time. Like, for, for instance, in a lot of, when I was working with a lot of orchestras in, in, in Europe, when I wrote uh, my first orchestral piece, Black American Symphony. Now, you have 4-4 four, four time, and they play in 4-4 four, four time, we play in 4-4 four, four time. But how we play in 4-4, four, four, you, you count the song off, you're not going to arrive at the same conclusion. It's not going to have the same push there's a certain forward motion you can have this for instance I'll hold on we're, we're yeah, coming yeah, we're yeah, getting yeah, yeah. there <laughs> I'm turning my metronome on yeah. but uh, so you know you hear a metronome you hear this, that's four beats four beats are four beats of science right but Armstrong is like, you know. That that there are other rhythms implied in the reading of that four four. Inside. Four. Okay. Inside yes. okay. Where you don't hear it I necessarily. It. So it's not just about plunking down four beats to a bar. It's the it's the rhythmic implications and the forward motion within that that gives it an automatic feel, a swing to it, even though some people would say that you need to have an eighth or a triplet um, feel to it, like a da, 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 da. But even if without playing that second syncopated note, it's still felt there in that four. That doesn't exist anywhere else. In so when you, when you were working with those guys in, in the European orchestra, it was interesting to translate. Were, that, were they right? were they hearing it, and and what was their response? They kind of had to come our way, you know, because that was like the point, right? So <laughs> right. it was a Black American symphony. So I and, and I made it so that basically that I made the root the quarter note. I didn't make them have to play eight eighth notes because that that's a very new, uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing to translate because it's not metrically. Like a lot of people try to say swing is two triplets, the first two tied, you know, and, and, and the third is by itself. Not really. It, it's 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 somewhere in between all of that. And it, you, you can't write it out. That's the thing. You can't write it out metrically because it's not. It's a pulse. It's a feel. And Louis Armstrong redefined that. They There was swing feel, feels before him or even shuffles. There were swung eighth notes. But the way Louis Armstrong did it, changed the way everybody plays. When he went to Chicago, he changed the way all those musicians played. When he went to New York, he changed the whole Fletcher Henderson band, the way they phrase. He created modern phraseology. So when you're hearing everybody from not only Charlie Parker and Duke Ellington to uh, Elvis or Bing Crosby or Frank Sinatra, or, 
or even Katy Perry or whatever, you're still hearing Armstrong's quarter note, regardless of if you like the popular music or not, or you can say, well, it's this is there. a different quality or high degrees, but we're still borrowing Armstrong's quarter note. Music would not sound, popular music would not sound as it does today without him. Who since Armstrong has had as revolutionary an impact on the music? I mean, that, that that's a fundamental, it's hard to do that like more than once. Redefining the eighth note has been redefined many times. The triplet fill has been redefined many times. Uh, most recently, uh, James DeWitt Yancey, otherwise known as JD, also known as Dilla, he redefined triplet and shuffle fill. Okay. But to redefine a quarter note, that's only happened once in the last hundred years. It may happen once. I can't see any where that would go next, but it, it's possible that it would change. But Armstrong influenced everybody who came after him. Like that's there's levels of influence, and Charlie Parker certainly did redefine rhythm and how rhythm was thought of in, in terms of how he crossed bar lines and changing and and, and uh, the triplet feel. Because bebop is is essentially a rhythmic invention. They schools make it about harmony, but they really miss the boat. It's really about the rhythms. Because the notes weren't necessarily that Charlie Parker was playing was not really much different than his predecessors. It's how he placed the notes that actually made the difference in bebop. You know, the notes are just colors, but it's the rhythm that makes it different. And most new uh, innovations in music, in, in terms of black culture, are rhythmic innovations. The notes are just colors. Interesting. Sissy Bounce. Talk about a rhythm change. I mean, there's nothing like it before or since that I know about. That's totally... I mean, yeah, and again, we, one could argue how repetitive it is or if it's as complex as so, but again, that even owes a debt to Armstrong's quarter note. That doesn't exist without him. Whoa. All right. Um, Charmaine, uh, I, I want to ask you both, um, and, and you, Nicholas, his, you've got now, who, who cannot go out and get Nick's, Nicholas Payton's Afro-Caribbean mixtape after this conversation, right? You have to do that. Um, Charmaine, what is your latest development in your work? And, and I want to ask you both, what's next? Well, for me, actually, just trying to get to the next level. So there's nothing that's really new yet. You know, I've still got lots of, like Nicholas said, you know, you have a title before you even have a song. And I have so many things that are sitting in here that I know are going to be when I get them, you know, but I've got to find that whole right thing, you know, to make that one little phrase be, you know, that thing. So, yeah, but uh, I have nothing new that's coming out except for just, you know, regular stuff. So you play a lot in town. Oh, you play about as much as anybody in town. And by the way, Jazz, I just want to tell you, let's get Emily in here before she feels like we don't care about her. Oh. I just want to get her comments, we'll, and then we'll continue our conversation. But um, you play a lot in town. Uh, Nicholas is on the road a lot, mm -hmm. and uh, you live part-time at least in... Nowhere else here. 
here all the time? Yeah. Okay. Never lived anywhere else. I, I had this. I, I think of you as being in New York a lot, <laughs> nah, maybe nah. just because you play there. I have a 917 number. That's about it. <laughs> okay. I've always lived here. Okay. I've got that 917 number, too, but that was just because of after Katrina, 504 didn't work too well. So mm-hmm. I'm holding on to that 917. We got Emily on the line? Emily Madura. Hi. Is this Jean? Yeah. Have you so been? Good to hear from you. I know, and likewise, that I'm so excited about your new gig. I'm thrilled too. I'm having a great time, and you know, I really have an amazing team, so I couldn't be happier. And I and I hear I hear what's going on in the background too a little bit. But um, Emily, I just want to, um, you know, I have these two uh, amazing artists in my uh, studio, and we've kind of gotten deep into the music. But I, I just kind of want to make sure that the foundation of our show today is that Satchmo. Uh, festivals coming up this weekend. I got to be honest with you. In the very early days, and I sure wish I had talked to Nicholas way back, and I probably wouldn't have had this attitude. But I was a little bit skeptical about this festival because I was feeling, oh, this is a tourist thing, mm-hmm. right? But I, you know, sitting here and having the conversation I'm having, I'm realizing, oh no, this is not a tourist thing. This is an exploration and an opportunity for people from both the city and elsewhere to take that deeper dive also into the music. So what are you trying to do with Satchmo this year? Well, we're really excited. We couldn't be more happy to have Nicholas Payton playing. We're very excited for Friday, so we want everybody to come out at 3. But, you know, to your point, we this is really a, a local festival. Uh, we do have a lot of people coming in and visiting us from, you know, Europe and across the country, but... We have more local folks that come out to this festival because it is small, it's familial, um, and it's intimate. So we're going to be at the Mint. We'll have three stages, two outdoor stages, and one indoor stage where you can take advantage of free dance lessons as well. But a lot of people don't realize, in addition to the music that we have, which is just incredible, the lineup this year is deep. Um, we have a three-day symposium. So, you know, you have an opportunity to go out and listen to the music and then go inside and hear from scholars from around the country as well as in New Orleans about Louis Armstrong and about his legacy in so many facets of our life. So it's really, it's an enjoyment thing, but it's also a learning uh, thing uh, throughout the entire event. And, and I understand that um, the Mint, uh, which has always been kind of a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, um, some ambivalence in its mission, but and, and now it's really finally realizing it's, um, I think, what a lot of people hoped all along it would become as more of a, um, a home for jazz. Yes, they're rebranding as the Jazz Museum at the Mint. And New Orleans, you know, we should have a jazz museum. So we're thrilled about that. Um, they're actually going to be uh, opening their Women of Note exhibit tomorrow evening from 5 to 7 going to be an incredible exhibit um, celebrating and exploring the role that women have had in the evolution of New Orleans jazz. So we're encouraging everybody to go check that out. It will be open all weekend. Uh, and then tomorrow night we'll be enjoying an evening with Jermaine Basil at our Spirit of Petmo to kick off the event. And that's what Charmaine is a part of, too. And it's, so it's, it's Jermaine, it's Charmaine, and who are the other um, women vocalists that are a part of the program that you're trying to heighten their... Well, Dee Dee Bridgewater Dee Dee? and, Dee Dee's and Jermaine gonna be in Basil it? are going to be the ones that are there. You know, uh, I'm going as a you know, listener. 
I'm going, here, Jermaine. And here, Dee Dee. I've worked with both of them before, you know. Have you heard Dee Dee's new R&B? Yes. Is that amazing? So that's going to be very interesting, and and it's ironic. Uh, We started off this uh, evening with um, Nicholas talking about the artificiality of the genres and how they all evolve and relate, and here we are back down to talking about the genres. But Dee Dee Bridgewater, who has been known as a jazz singer, has... Have you heard what she's doing now with this R&B thing? No, so she she kind of um, is paying homage to those origins. But and you roots. know, it was always there. Oh yeah, it was always there. Yeah. So it's not like she just all of a sudden woke up and said no, because that was always there in Dee Dee. You know, so. But it is it is pretty extraordinary to hear yes, that it is. her interpretation of it. It's it's, uh, it's phenomenal. It's strong stuff. So, um, congratulations to you all at Satchmo for calling attention to the women, um, which is something we did at the Dewdrop, and I, I enjoyed it very much, and I think it's very important. So that's great. What is another um, a highlight, would you say, of uh, this year's jazz, um, uh, j- um, Satchmo? Well, Man, Emily. Uh, there's so a lot many. going on. I mean, <laughs> obviously, we've got six debuts this year. So Nicholas Payton, uh, Stephanie Jordan as well, Jana Linnell, David Harris, the Pinstripe Bass Band, uh, Ashton Parker, uh, Trumpet Mafia. So we're excited about all of those debuts. Um, but we have a lot of local artists that are going to be coming to coming back. You know, some of them come back every year. Um, we'll have Kermit Ruffin closing it out with a trumpet tribute on Sunday. And the first year that we hosted the Satchmo Summerfest was the celebration of his 100th year. So 17 years later, we're excited to be doing it again, and our schedule is just really steeped in tradition. Uh, we've got a traditional jazz mass at St. Augustine on Sunday at 10 a.m., and then we encourage everybody to join the second line to the fairgrounds, festival grounds. I can't believe that it's already 17 years. I know. I know. I, I took a guess the other day at how long it was, and I said about 15 years. So that's uh, that's testimony right there to the strength and the importance of it. Um, so I think that um, I'm going to ask a very uh, prosaic question, but it's, it's an important one to me always, and that is where do people park? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like I, 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 anywhere I go, I want to know where do I park. Well, I live on the West Bank, so I'm taking the ferry in and I'm going to go. walk. That's one way to do it. Catch the streetcar, you know, the streetcar on truck But the other thing is, bikes, bike lane. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, being on Esplanade is a lot more accessible. So. You know, you can take the streetcar and walk down Esplanade in the state. You can park anywhere in the Marigny. Um, and we'll have parking also at the French Market. Their lot will be open. And, and actually, uh, you mentioned Esplanade. And, of course, I live on Esplanade, and so I watch the, the, bike, the bikers um, all day long. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a second line in and of itself. It's just endless. <laughs> one bike passes, the next one comes. So that's another way to come is uh, get on your bike and uh, head right in, and, 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 uh, and you're there. Well, um, I hope it's a great success, and um, good luck to you with this uh, venture, and um, we'll be looking to see who the debuts are, not only this year, but next year, and I'm, I'm excited to have um, 
two very important artists here. So we're going to continue uh, close out the show um, hearing uh, from them a little bit. Um, anything you want to uh, shout out to me on? Well, we're thrilled to kick this off on Friday. Stages open at 11 a.m. And um, both Charmaine and Nicholas Payton will be there. Looking forward to it. So we just encourage people to come to the Mint Friday through Sunday. Thank you, Emily. Have a blast. I'll be trying Thank to you. Thank you, Jean. out there on Saturday probably more likely than my working day. We have, All right. we have two big tents, so we're going to be cool and comfortable rain or shine. That's important. Because, yeah, I think we are going to have a little bit of rain this weekend. Yeah, but that uh, doesn't stop anything. That doesn't stop Orleans, anything here. You know, Not at you all. Don't care. Right. All right, Emily. Have a great weekend. Thank you. We'll see you out there. Okay. Um, who are some of the other artists that uh, you all are um, excited to be hearing from that are going to be at the event? Are you going to be who's, – who's playing with you? Um, my band, uh, same band from the album, Afro-Caribbean Mixtape. I have uh, Daniel Sedonic on percussion. Joe Dyson on drums, Vicente Archer on bass, and DJ Ladyfingers on the turntables. Mm-hmm. And Charmaine, you? Well, you know, my the usual suspects, you know, Detroit Brooks, uh, Donald Ramsey on bass, uh, Amosie Miller on piano, and on drums, Raymond Weber Jr. So instead of the big man himself, you know, who just had a birthday, as a matter of fact, uh-huh. uh, yesterday, I think it was, and he's like, 50-something, I don't know. I'm 21, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right, sure, yeah. Definitely. But you know, Gene, it's funny. Well, we've only known each other for I uh, know. two minutes. And it's true because I was just yesterday thinking about that year at Carnival Time that we roller skated from Audubon Park all the way to the French Quarters, and, you know, every once in a while my legs will feel like, damn Jean. Because <laughs> that was when they had real roller skates. Not I know, that, yeah. We those were roller uh, blade things. Right, no. Yeah. We were we were at the mercy of the, oh those goodness. little wooden things on yeah. the on the streets of New Orleans. But um I, I don't we know. We had if, a good time, I remember. It was uh, important stuff and I, you know, I, I, I don't remember if you even knew that I do this, but I you know Tina Gerard and Dickie Landry, you know Dickie Landry. Sure. The saxophone player mm-hmm. from speaking about loops, he was really he was doing that before Philip Glass and that um, genre, whatever you want to call that. But um, I was visiting them in Sicilia, and I, I got on my roller skates and a roller skater from Sicilia about 12 miles to another town. I don't even remember what it was, but I know that I remember having to get on the phone and call somebody to come get me and take me back because by that time I was gone. But, yeah, yeah. we tried to keep me moving. I, I remember more sort of running into you on Bourbon Street for a while back there, remember. Oh, yeah. Night people. Yeah. Where are we going? What, how, is, um, um, how is the music scene in New Orleans evolving um, right now, how would you describe the the evolutionary phase that we're in now, Nicholas? Um, I look to the younger cats, you know, people mm-hmm. like Joe and um, Joe, Joe Dyson, mm-hmm. um, who's in my band, and, and you know his group, the Bridge Trio, uh, Max Moran and Conan Pappas, and uh, like uh, guys who they're, they're over there tonight. The Next Generation with Jesse McBride has been doing there with a lot of the young cats. Uh, here, like Brian Richburg and Christian Bold. And, um, All the young people are just. Yeah, there's, there's always somebody else coming up, right. you know, and has to pass it on. And I try to do that's my thing it. by, you know, mentoring people like Joe and, and a lot of the that's people. That's exactly yeah. it, you know, because if you bring young people up mm-hmm. and 
I always tell people, a lady said to me, well, why is it that you feel like it's important that you allow these young people to come on stage with you? I say, because I want them to understand that when my time is done, it's their time. And for them to realize that they have to reach behind them and pull some young person and pull them mm -hmm. so that they'll remember to go to the next generation and the next generation so that this never stops, that the evolution continues. Do you think that um, other cities um, uh, are as engaged no. in that generational <laughs> no. progression, no? I don't. Only one other city do I believe that is, well, maybe two, uh, Nashville and maybe Austin. Other than that, I'm not going to say yes to, and New York, you know. But well, New York in a whole different yeah, way. Yeah, a whole because different Because New York isn't different. so much generational no. as it is. Uh, so multi-directional, I mean, taking right. things in from so many different places. Yeah. Well, we're like that melting pot, too, because we have so many different places that people are coming from with the different kinds of genres of music that they're bringing to yeah. us, you know. And we don't pretend like we're not going to include anybody because that's what New Orleans is, that big pot of gumbo that everybody just comes and plays, you know. Oh, you're making me hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, what's your feeling for how, how it's evolving in, in, the, in this generational relationship? Do you see that in other places? Yeah, I mean, particularly when, it, when we talk within the ranks of black music, like that's really the only place, if, if, be it if we're talking about the church or, or straight ahead music, whatever traditions, funk, there, there's, there's a, um, a lineage. That, that typically you're a part of, and it's dangerous when we start to see that not happening some more, so so much, um, and uh, that's why I think the dangerous thing is uh, this whole or over glorification perhaps of youth culture um, is kind of backwards because like when I was coming up, you wanted to do and listen to the things your parents listened to. It wasn't older people trying to pretend that they were twenty year olds. You know, it was you wanted to emulate your elders. That's how I wanted to play music. I was a toddler walking around and looking at people like uh, Clyde Kerr Jr. and um, my yeah. godfather Michael Pierce and you know uh, late great Ed Frank and Wendell Brunius, who I just saw uh, the other night. Uh, last night I was hanging out with him at Dos Jefes. It still continues and you. you that's why I have younger cats, and hopefully, you know, in a few years when Joe Dyson has his band, he'll bring in an yes. usher. And it, 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 the, I'm often reminded of the Ghanaian symbol, Sankofa, which is what I actually use for my record label, um, Payton Records. And it's basically the picture of a bird looking backwards, uh, grabbing a, an egg off its back to show the continuity of yes. not only birth and death, but each successive generation teaching. That's how we evolve. It's up to that next generation to make sure it continues. There is um, a really different relationship between generations now outside of the music connection that you're speaking of, and, um, and it's because of the technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, now there was a, there's a television commercial that I often cite as, as a, a kind of example of this is the grandparents are at the door and their grandkids have just come up and they say, oh, we're so happy to see you. This thing doesn't work at all. So they're looking to their kids to solve their technology right. issues because the kids that is so know funny, so much though. more yes. about the technology now than 
So there's a. There's that's a, what I mean. It's kind of it's backwards. It's it backwards. And, exactly. I, and I think it's it not. I'm not a anti-technology. But, no. But but we need to bridge that a little bit better right. because at the point of which the power structure beca- begins to be reversed, that can be problematic. Well, I think that it 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 what's the danger is exactly what you're saying that the kids will not appreciate. The, the what the, the riches of but what the generations before them, them can offer them people like Danny Barker and mm. you know Johnny Adams and you know make them understand who those people were and what they brought to the music you know and what you can bring to the music so you cannot make them be disinterested you have to show them okay so look this is what this is you know and look this is what where this came from so you know and when you when can they catch their attention when they're right. not looking at that and and, and 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 you know doing things that are intergenerational be it fam- family things mm-hmm. that way you know having kids with their grandparents with you know different generations and creating music that way uh like the project that I did with Doc Cheatham uh I recently learned uh from a cat uh, we were doing a panel discussion at the Mint uh from Calvin Johnson that he wasn't too keen on listening to traditional music he didn't like Armstrong. He just thought that stuff was passe and didn't want anything to do with it. Old school. Yeah. But when I did the album with Doc Cheatham and me being younger and more relatable to him, that was – I become a bridge for him to the older cats. And that's cats. always the way that so, it is, exactly. you know, always. So. Because I remember coming up, you know, and people were like, well, I don't want to hear that. Mm. You know, I don't let's, let's, let's go do this, mm. you know. So – but when they realized who Papa Funk was, mm. talking about my Uncle Art, you know, and they were like, oh. Oh my gosh, really? So, you know, once you get them to understand that all of it is interlocking, mm-hmm. you know, then they get it. So, absolutely. Well, one of those things I don't want to hear is what I'm hearing right now, which is my, uh, my, um, Anthem, it ain't my fault, and it's the uh, indication that unfortunately our little hour has come to an end. And okay. I knew it was going to come faster than uh, we would expect or want. Well, but for having me, this has been terrific. I've really enjoyed Nicholas, it very I'm much. So happy to see you. I'm uh, see you, thrilled about your work, and as always, yours. And um, I'll try to be out there and see you and keep on going. And keep me informed of what's going on. And if you want to come back and talk about something, be my guest. This is Gene Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations, and um, this is our new Friday time, and I'll be back on Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Be sure and join in.